I'm a big believer that experience teaches. My goal with this show is to have guests to share their experience so that they can tell you what it's like, what they did right and what they did wrong. And I'm gonna share the same. Look, I'm not trying to regurgitate stuff you can find on the internet. I'm gonna tell you how it really is and what it's really like to own your own place. This is the National Restaurant Owners Podcast with your host, Kyle and Sarah. All right, welcome back to the National Restaurant Owners Podcast, the number one and fastest growing podcast for independent restaurant owners in the country and that's because of you guys so thanks for checking me out um it's been a little bit of delay in between episodes i apologize um it's got a little bit hectic we've had to shuffle some things around uh rebook some guests uh but we are all good now for the end of the year we're gonna make it to episode 100 if not more um which is a very cool thing so um there it is thank you for the support thank you for reaching out. Thank you for following us on Instagram and YouTube. It's been a great little community that we started here and just look forward to keeping it moving. So uh, on this episode, I've got Daniel Estrada, co-founder and CEO of 86 Repairs. This is also episode 86, which is totally coincidental and a little bit weird, but they are a company. Check this out. You have, it's such a headache, right? In the restaurant industry, when a low boy goes down, right? Or your walk-in goes down, you gotta like stop what you're doing, try to find somebody to come and fix it. With 86 repairs, they take over that process. So basically, without getting too much into it, you're a manager on the floor. You get, hey, low boy's down. You grab your phone, you text 86 repairs. Hey, our low boy is down and they handle it from there. You'll get an update saying basically like, you know, ABC kitchen uh, repair is on its way. I mean, how, how cool is that? So um, Daniel Estrada, the co-founder, joins us. Very informative. I love restaurant tech, especially when it makes things, you know, easier, makes life easier. So one of these things where you're not putting out fires all the time by yourself. Um, so really great tech. Daniel was a great guest. I appreciate you coming on the show, Daniel. And uh, check it out, episode 86. As a restaurant owner in 2021, I'm sure you can appreciate the convenience of restaurant technology and beautifully designed websites, but maybe you don't know where to turn. Well, I can tell you this. Look no further. I got your answer right here. Bento Box. Bento Box empowers restaurants to own their presence, profits, and relationships directly through their custom-designed websites. With Bento Box, you'll get a digitally accessible website that conforms to ADA guidelines and has SEO best practices built right in. They also provide e-commerce tools that drive high-margin revenue by allowing your restaurant to grow loyalty by selling gift cards, merchandise, and events tickets 24 hours a day. Plus, you'll be able to own your guest relationship, making it easy to send messages, view data, and manage your orders all in one place. How good does that sound? Right? All in one place. Vendorbox provides a full-service setup that brings agency-level design online in days at a fraction of the cost. Their best-in-class support team is available seven days a week, for personalized support and industry expertise. And just because you're a listener of the show, you can receive 50% off your setup fees as well by clicking the link in my bio and entering the code FOU6 in the How Did You Hear About Bento Box section. Again, that's code FOU6, Bento Box. Own your presence, own your profits, own your relationships. You guys know how important I feel vibe is to your restaurant or your bar. It's everything. And just to give you an example, have you ever noticed 
how the energy of of your restaurant or your bar totally changes when there's something on your TV that's not engaging like sports? I have a solution for you. Atmosphere TV is the first and only TV product of their kind built specifically for use in your restaurant. You may recognize their flagship channel, Chive TV, in addition to 40-plus other amazing high-definition content channels, including Red Bull TV, X Games TV, Beach Bum TV, America's Funniest Home Videos, and much, much more. Built and proven to keep your guests sitting, eating, drinking, and of course, spending more money. The best part is Atmosphere remains 100% free for listeners of this podcast. Just use the code KYLE at checkout to have your setup fee waived and receive your device today. That's atmosphere.tv and use the code KYLE, K-Y-L-E, to receive your free device today. All right, guys, welcome back to the National Restaurant Owners Podcast. Today, I am joined by Daniel Estrada from 86 Repairs, the founder and CEO of 86 Repairs. Uh, Daniel, thank you for joining me today from Chicago. I'm very happy to be here, Kyle. Thanks for having me. So I, what caught my name, what caught my eye on 86 Repairs was the 86. So I'm like, okay, this is something to do with restaurants. And then repairs, I was like, okay, I hate dealing with repairs. What is this all about? So what is what is 86 Repairs and how did you guys get, get started with this? Yeah, good uh, good question. So uh, 86 Repairs is pretty simple. We um, our, our value prop for our customers is, is pretty pretty simple. We Anytime there's a problem in one of your restaurants, something breaks, a piece of equipment, HVAC, plumbing, whatever, you just send us a text and we manage the whole process of getting it fixed. So wow. way to think about it you know, in, in terms of the pain and time and money and energy that goes into fixing things in restaurants, we manage all of that for our customers. It's a subscription service to take all of that off their shoulders so they can focus on running the restaurants. That sounds pretty incredible uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, the texting. I mean, that's a huge, that's a huge thing, right? We all grab our phones and try to text and solve a lot of problems, but I would never think in, in my lifetime, I would see like, well, Hey, we need somebody to come fix this leak in our basement. How does that, how does that work? Yeah. So, uh, the, the request process, like I said, it's very easy. You can text us, call, email, you know, basically however the staff in the restaurant want to communicate with us. 95% of our communication comes through text, as you would imagine. And so you send us a text and you say, hey, my walk-in cooler's down mm. and it's not holding temp and I need somebody to come fix it. Because we're managing this for hundreds of operators all over the country, um, the first thing that happens is your request comes in and we look at the data that we have about all the walk-ins that have gone down. Mm -hmm. And we say 23% of the time a walk-in goes down, resetting power to the condenser will solve the problem. So right. we actually give you a troubleshooting suggestion, right? Some of your managers may be really experienced and have good ideas around this stuff. Some of your managers may not. And <laughs> so we say, hey, if you try flipping a circuit breaker and give it 20 minutes, comes back down to temp, you're good to go. If that solves the problem, we just saved that customer two, three hundred bucks yeah. easily, you know, on easily. a service visit they didn't really need. That's the old uh, unplug it and plug it back in trick first. Let's try, let's try <laughs> that right. first before we rack up the bills. And obviously that's super that's important right. to restaurants. And so yeah. I guess, and I'm just thinking out loud and without giving away your secret sauce here, then you're tapped into the local networks. Like I'm here in New York. So you guys would have, mm -hmm. you know, ABC refrigeration, which I actually be a name of a company here. Um, <laughs> are, 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 um, they are then sort of like in your network of service providers that you would then dispatch to them. And then how does it go from there? Once they're sent out, then then what can the then the restaurant expect from there? 
Yeah, exactly. So if a troubleshooting step doesn't solve the problem, then we'll dispatch a service provider on behalf of the restaurant. So uh, we don't make our customers use, quote unquote, our vendors. Mm -hmm. um, when a customer onboards with us, they can tell us who their preferred relationships are with. Oh, so okay. in that way, if you like ABC Refrigeration and they know your restaurants and they've done a great job for you, that's great. Uh, you can continue using them. The difference is that we manage all the dispatching and communication and all of that uh, for your team. So we'll reach out to them, usually electronically. We'll get an ETA. We'll share that with the management team on staff, I gotcha. et cetera. And then we just manage that whole process. And then when the issue is uh, resolved, we'll confirm you know, with the staff on site that everything's working. They're happy with the work that was done. And then we close out the incident. And now we start building up that service history and that data, which helps you make other much better operational choices uh, related to repairs and maintenance in the future. I mean, I, when I'm thinking about using this, uh, I'm thinking two things. One, it's, it does what a lot of technology does is it, it allows you to get back some time. So, you know, for some cost, you're going to get back some time, but also the stress and the frustration of dealing with this. And on top of that, you it sounds like you guys are keeping records. So when you go to get rid of this restaurant or something happens and people ask for service records, boom, you guys have it right there. Exactly. Exactly. You know, you talked on your last episode about um, the fact that the restaurant industry is often not very structured in some of the day to day mm -hmm. processes that are used. And this is a really good example, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we don't find restaurants typically have service histories on their equipment. Yeah. They don't know how much money has gone into you know servicing that walk in. And so it's really hard to make a good decision about, hey, it's time to replace this thing. Maybe I have a lemon. Uh, maybe I've already overspent on repairing it. And then, like you said, when you know, equipment is being bought and sold and restaurants are being bought and sold, that data is really valuable. Yeah, it is. And I would, in my experience in dealing with restaurants, there's, I would say maybe 5% of the time, somebody's like, oh yeah, here's the binder of all the service reports I have, I have on every piece of equipment. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, as, as things st sort of start to reopen here, I know there's a lot of question marks, but in general, reopening, restarting, how, how are you seeing, you know, restaurants, restart, you know, their equipment was shut off for a long period of time, maybe wasn't serviced prior to that. How have these service providers and, and the equipment in general held up during this off time? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, there is a lot to unpack there. Mm -hmm. uh, everybody in the industry kind of remembers the chain of events, right, with COVID. So first it was mid-March, you know, gloom and doom, open table had their, you know, their dashboards that they showed basically restaurant reservations yeah. going to zero, right? And so everything was pretty much shut down for a short period of time there. And then I think partly because of some of the public health guidance and just confidence from people, you started seeing takeout and, you know, drive-throughs and things coming back. Uh, and then, you know, part of the challenge that we've had, I think, in the industry is that this has been so up and down, you know, for the last 18 months, you had you know, another spike in the fall and winter. And then, you know, vaccination uh, process went better than expected in the early mm -hmm. months when that rollout happened. So, you know, huge demand again, which caused supply chain issues, right? Which we can yeah. talk more about yep. and all the labor issues. So on the equipment side, you know, what we saw was definitely equipment that was shut down, not maintained during certain, you know, periods of time. And then when the reopening started happening, lots of pressure on those service companies who also had to lay off or furlough staff yeah. right when all of their customers were closed. And so when you combine equipment challenges, all the staffing challenges, the high demand, it's just been really, really tough. And, you know, parts, new equipment, used equipment, all of it has been really tough.
Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, that, that you, you touched on, I definitely want to, want to speak about the, the manufacturing shortage and the labor shortage and how it's impacting these service providers. Um, where does that stand right now? What are you seeing? I know long lead times what I keep hearing on new build outs and, and things of that nature, but I haven't really spoken to any service providers and what that looks like. Are you seeing, you know, a, a severe impact on the restaurant industry due to this either shortage or, or with labor or manufacturing? Yeah, we're seeing a lot of that. So um, let's talk about labor first, which I think, you know, has always been an issue. So part of the reason that we started 86 is that we saw this trend of, you know, shortage in skilled trades labor. So the people who have the skills and the experience to fix equipment and infrastructure in a restaurant, there are fewer and fewer of them, which is driving costs up for restaurant operators. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, more and more people are eating out, right? Even through COVID, you know, we're, we're, we're starting to see restaurants get back to, you know, pre-pandemic demand levels. And so that combination means more demand, less supply, prices are going up, it's all getting right. harder. I mentioned earlier that these service companies have the same labor challenges that restaurant operators have, which is they had to lay off or furlough folks during mm -hmm. the times when their customers were closed. And so in the same way that in the restaurant industry, you saw people move to other industries, you saw them stay out of the workforce, right? Um, that happened for service companies as well. So they're dealing with that labor shortage, just like, you know, restaurant operators are. Yeah. And then you have you know, on top of that and the supply chain issues, right? So you mentioned equipment, um, it's the lead times for, you know, things like fryers and yeah. under counter coolers and things like that are getting really, really long. We're hearing, you know, 12 to 18 week lead times on that stuff. Um, we have, I just heard from one of our team members the other day, you know, simple things like replacement blades for meat slicers. We used to be able to get those for our customers in a day or two. Mm. Uh, now it's taking three months. Oh my right? God. Yeah, so and that delays on the manufacturer side, right? Like obviously, the manufacturers aren't able to produce them or ship them, or the, the delay is just labor shortage to get it out. Yeah, it, it's all of those things. So mm. manufacturers had, you know, definitely some ripples in the in their manufacturing cycles because the plants, you know, plants of their suppliers were closed for periods of time, and then you have all the logistics issues. So you have, you know, shipments, you know, through. Um, you know, logistics providers, container shipments, right, uh, across across the world, across yeah. the ocean, uh, getting slowed down, right? You've probably heard about some of the issues at the ports, like around the mm -hmm. Suez Canal and places yeah. like that. All of those things, you know, contributed. And so it's not just the food items and takeout containers and all that kind of stuff, but it's also the, the equipment, the replacement parts, you know, gaskets, blades, filters, compressors, right? Everything that you need to run and repair this equipment is, you know, seeing, uh, seeing delays. So it's a really tough environment. It actually makes me think how impressive it is that I was able to get a blade in, in two to three days. Now, when you think about where <laughs> other parts are coming from, like overseas and how many hands have to touch it before it actually gets to your restaurant. And it took, exactly right. you know, I mean, it took a, obviously a major uh, situation here to kind of impact it, but it, it does show you how they're all connected and how it can be turned off its, uh, off its center for, for, uh, they'll impact a lot of restaurants. So that's, that's pretty yeah, wild. I mean, the global supply chain is an amazing thing, right? Yeah. Um, you just said it, but it's not designed for those peaks and valleys that we talked about earlier, right? It's not designed yeah. to have, you know, shut down, everyone shuts everything down, then a little bit comes back, mm -hmm. then you have another spike of demand, and then it shuts down again, right? Yeah. That's just really, really impactful. Are there any restaurants or, or food service businesses that have, you feel have been more impacted than any other in this, in this situation that you're describing? 
I really don't think so. Um, we're we're seeing issues across, you know, quick service restaurants, QSR, mm. across full service, whether it's an independent or a chain. Uh, this is tough. I mean, we've heard about some uh, franchisors buying up equipment to have yeah, yeah. and to have you know, inventoried for their franchisees, which, yeah. you know, if they can leverage their buying power to do that, they're going to do it. Um, same with parts. You know, we're hearing about uh, equipment dealers, parts suppliers who, you know, only ever stocked name brands and now they're starting to buy direct from, you know, Chinese manufacturers. Mm. So there's a lot of, um, a lot of just figuring out how to manage this. So wow. it is difficult. And is there really anything that an owner or an operator can do to mitigate that time frame? or, you know, is there anything that they can do or they just kind of like deal with it? I think one of the biggest opportunities for kind of reducing cost and improving uptime has always been preventive maintenance. And I can feel the eyes rolling in the <laughs> audience <laughs> because uh, this is a topic that's been tough. You know, yeah. every restaurant operator has a horror story about, you know, terrible experience managing a vendor who is supposed to be maintaining something and wasn't mm-hmm. doing it properly. Service um, contracts, things like that. Yeah, totally. And it's expensive, you yep. know, um, it costs a lot of money. The reality is that it's really hard to know where PM is actually going to save you money. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things we do with our customers is we manage those service contracts for them. And so we can track and see the impact to service volumes, to costs. You know, those are the kinds of things that, that we're actually able to measure. Whereas before it's always this black box, right? Yeah. I have no idea if this is mm-hmm. actually valuable. I'm spending, you know, four grand a month on PM mm-hmm. contracts and, some of it I have to do, some of it I don't, but it's really hard to measure the impact. Yeah. Um, so I think PM, you know, we're seeing those customers who invested in it. Mm-hmm. They're they're dealing with less downtime, fewer repairs because that equipment has been well maintained, and so you're not as susceptible to all these supply chain issues when a piece of equipment, yeah, you know, you have to replace something because it hasn't been maintained properly, or you have to buy replacement parts or whatever. And it goes back to having that record too. If somebody can go back and look at it and say, "Oh, this is what happened last time," instead of starting at zero and trying to diagnose the problem, I can imagine that'd be a big, a big help. And I think anybody who That's doesn't right. have a service contract has never had a walk-in go down for multiple days, because I can tell you, I would pay almost any amount of money. We had a walk-in one time go down for like four days. Yeah, oh my god! Yeah, yeah, it's it's, yeah. A, it's a mess. And yeah. at that point, I mean, nothing's perfect, right? Nothing's going to work perfect. And no. I think a lot about this business is mitigating your. Like whatever happens, how are you going to respond to it? You gotta, I mean, obviously you got to weigh, keep your expenses in line, but um, it sounds to me like preventative maintenance is the way to go for sure. Yeah, uh, I think I think one thing that's been interesting to see as we've you know, talked with restaurant operators about this topic is, you know, they're often skeptical of it. And one of the things they don't realize is some of the other benefits of having these contracts in place. Mm-hmm. They get preferred response times from service companies, right? We're seeing lead times for repair visits go up. We're seeing the average time to resolve a service incident increase. Um, We've seen from January to June of this year, we saw a 65% increase in the number of service requests that customers are asking us to help them handle. And so what they don't realize is that vendors, service companies are often willing to give them preferred response times, discounted hourly rates, things like that, if they're on a service contract for that equipment. And so there are other benefits beyond just having your equipment well-maintained is yeah. what is that downtime costing you, right? If you can get that thing up one or two days faster, that can be oh, worth man. a lot of money. Oh, yeah. Are you seeing, 
you know, I'm sure you, you can look across the board of what's going on in terms of, you know, most common requests. What do you see as the most common request for your service uh, across the board for any type of restaurant use? Yeah, so refrigeration is the number one category, um, followed very closely by HVAC. Um, <laughs> and so you can imagine those are very tightly linked. Yeah, I'm still um, like a little PTSD from both of those. So yeah, I feel totally, that. <laughs> totally. In, in full service restaurants, plumbing is actually the second most expensive uh, category. Yep. Um, and you can imagine, you know, QSR restaurants certainly have their plumbing issues, but in, in full service, you have you know, the additional bathrooms, typically larger kitchens, right? Mm -hmm. More floor drains, more dishwashing going on, you know, all that stuff. So it, it definitely contributes. Uh, those are the two, two big categories. So when, so let's just say run through a scenario here where I come in, my basement is flooded. I text you. Am I the, am I like now, since I text you, I'm the manager of the restaurant. I text you. Am I the guy that gets all the information? Is there an email follow-up? How many like touch points are there along the way? If you just break that down to help, I know we spoke about it before, but just to help everybody understand a little bit. Yeah, so um, a lot of different touch points depending on depending on the issue. But what we really try to do, you know, going back to structuring this process and running it consistently every time, we try to design the process so that every person who needs to be in the loop on that issue is yeah. at the mm -hmm. right times. Nah, so helps. you you might have a, if you're the GM and you're reporting the issue, you're probably going to get the the real-time updates from us, right? So, mm -hmm. hey, we've got a vendor identified who's going to come out. Their ETA is, you know, 45 minutes, be on site. Um, your district manager, your director of operations, whoever else needs to be in the loop gets an email as well as mm -hmm. one of the people who's listed in our system as a, as a contact point. Yep. So they'll know that something's going on. They don't necessarily need to be involved in the Every second, right? Messages. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, so there's that communication chain, and then there's a communication with the vendor. So we keep getting updates from them and passing those on, you know, the relevant ones on to the customer. What I like about that is it keeps everybody in the loop. You know, communication in restaurants is also not always the best. And I think if you have somebody like right. a, a director of operations, multi unit operator who needs to know if it's happening, but doesn't need to be on site and, you know, dealing with the issue. I yeah. think that's it. That's I would have to say that's probably one of the things that your customers are are most you know happy about is that increased communication. Yeah, I think so too. And you know whether you work with a company like eighty six or not, I think one of the best things that restaurant managers can do is have just a common set of you know communication standards for their team. Right? Yeah. Who are the people who need to be in the loop on this stuff? Even basic things. You know, when we onboard a new customer, we set spending limits on different levels in the org. So your GMs might be authorized to spend, you know, five hundred or thousand oh, yeah. dollars. Yeah. And then anything above that needs to get escalated. And often when we're onboarding a customer, it's the first time they've ever had kind of formal, you know, approval limits. So even putting things like that in place, you know, if you're not going to work with a company like us, you think, you know, I think operators should think about having that kind of structure in place. It just to your point, saves a lot of headaches and miscommunication. Oh yeah, for sure. And the spending limits is a good thing too. I mean, that's, you don't want somebody who, you know, the manager just, they just want it fixed. They want it off their plate and, you know, it's like, Hey, it's $5,500. Right? They're going to pay for it. And the owner's like, yeah. what the hell did you, what did you just do? Or the director of operations. So that's, <laughs> that's a fantastic uh, little fail safe. I would imagine <laughs> some yeah. owners are very happy about that. Yeah. It's, you know, it's funny. We, especially now, I mean, given the massive labor challenges in the industry, you know, everyone, Everyone knows it was tough before COVID and now it's just insane. I never expected when we started 86 that one of the benefits would be 
you know, that kind of retention and staff satisfaction. But one of the things staff really appreciate is when you have your communication organized oh, and, yeah. up and they feel like they can do their jobs effectively. Right. Um, that makes such a huge difference in whether somebody wants to work in your restaurant or not. Right. I mean, it, it's obvious, but some, it's hard. Yeah. Something we don't think about all the time is if you come to work every day and it's chaos and everybody is, you know, communications all over the place and no one knows who's responsible for what and how much money can be spent and all yep. those things, it just creates a much worse, you know, staff experience. And I think a lot of operators are thinking a lot more about the experience their employees have at work. And oh man. That's their a job point. satisfaction, right? Yeah, because it can be in, you know, insanely stressful on that person who who works for you, the manager, whoever has to deal with it. Maybe the manager doesn't come in late and there's no uh, you know, SOP for this type of issue, how it works. And exactly. it could be a, it could be a major problem for the head waitress or the shift lead exactly. or whoever's there and is like stressing out like crap, there's three inches of water in the basement. What do I do? Um, yeah, I think particularly if you're a multi-unit operator, I mean, that should be, if you could implement that standard across the board as it comes to something as big as repairs, I think that's major. Yeah. I think it's really different if you're a single unit operator and you have, you know, an owner operator who's on site every day and they're, mm -hmm. you know, you have one person who's essentially managing all of this, but as soon as you have more than one layer, it, it gets out of control. Quickly. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, now, you know, I like, as I said earlier with the reopening and, and all that stuff, are you seeing any kind of trends? I mean, we, I know we said that HVAC and refrigeration are some of the top repairs, but is anything sort of, you know, unfortunately trending here in terms of repairs that maybe was not on your radar, radar uh, prior to, to this whole shutdown? Well, I think the the increased time to getting things fixed yeah. is a huge problem. I mean, I mentioned that 65% increase in the volume of service requests, right? So uh, in January of this year, we had an average of about 1.7 service incidents per restaurant mm -hmm. per month. And now we're closer to three. And so just seeing the kinds of things that customers are relying on us for, right? They're, they're just calling us more because they are short staffed, right? Yeah. There's less time to be handling this stuff. So that's creating a lot of pressure on restaurant staff, but then pushing down to service companies who were already, you know, over oh, yeah. overworked and understaffed themselves. Um, I think that's been the biggest trend um, that that resolution time is mm. definitely extending. And getting used to that, I'm sure, because then you have the customers yeah. on the other side are like, well, you know, my, my wine isn't cold or whatever. This was too hot or whatever it was. So yeah. that's definitely a challenge. I mean, so much yeah. of this, so much tech has been implemented into restaurants, you know, it was coming in 2019 and 2020 certainly has been amplified, but mm -hmm. a lot of that has been customer facing in terms of reservations or front of the house in terms of advancements in the POS space or inventory. Yeah. I generally think as repairs as a back of the house issue, operational type issue, where there's maybe not so much of this type of tech. Is this, is back of the house tech an opportunity? Is that why, where you guys exist? Do you see this being a back of the house thing and, and how do you see yeah. it playing out? Yeah, I definitely do. Um, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, there have been billions of dollars in you know venture capital and yeah. uh, investment in general going into front of house tech. Right. It, it started with you know better point of sale systems and and like you said, there's been more probably over the last two years. You know, we've been seeing a lot more investment in food costing solutions and inventory management and mm -hmm. you know some great labor platforms out there like Seven Shifts, right? Yep. Companies like that and that back of house investment is absolutely here to stay. Um, mm. The, the data-driven restaurant is here to stay. And I think one of the reasons for that is that through the pandemic, 
independent operators started doing things that chains, you know, have been doing maybe yeah. for longer, shrinking their menus, right? Thinking about the profitability of food items, um, building out, you know, their carryout logistics, um, implementing drive-throughs in restaurants where you never would have thought, yep. you know, drive-throughs would be a thing. I mean, I during during the height of COVID in you know April May I ordered from Alinea, which is uh, <laughs> I think a three Michelin star restaurant in Chicago, right? Well known, yeah, well known restaurant. Heard of it. And yep. <laughs> they were doing huge volumes in carryout orders in a restaurant where you go for the experience. Oh yeah, right? like um, burning the leaves in the living in the dining room and not hold. Yeah, the, yeah, the sensory yeah, overload. Yeah, exactly. It's a it's a whole experience, and that was that's what made them special, right? Was this amazing food, but also the culinary experience of enjoying it. And, and so not having that hospitality, they pivoted, right, to doing other things. And so I think all of those shifts, you know, that where, where operators, even in segments like fine dining and independent, you know, operators that you wouldn't have expected to be thinking about these things are thinking about them. And so in that same way, they're looking at data. How do I keep better track of my equipment you know, my warranties, yeah. um, you, you kind of alluded to it earlier, you know, if you don't keep good service history and don't do that maintenance on the equipment, you risk avoiding the warranty. And so mm -hmm. now you're paying for stuff you didn't need to pay for. Yeah. So all of that, I think all those things are contributing to the fact that there's a, an acceleration in the investment in technology and restaurants and back of house is a big focus now where it wasn't a few years ago. I mean, in that specifically, do you see any, I mean, cause this is, you know, I think of French restaurant tech, I definitely never thought of texting somebody to repair, you know, help me with a repair issue. Do you see any other opportunities in the space for back of the house tech that, I mean, unless you had something work in the background, you don't want to disclose, but some sort of <laughs> other opportunity that, cause it seems like it's, it just seems like this vast land of, of opportunity for tech, but you know, getting the implement I know is, is, is a challenge, but do you see any opportunities there? Yeah, I do. Um, and we are working on it and I can talk about it. Um, <laughs> we, we, I see a huge opportunity for predictive maintenance um, yeah. and just in general being more proactive in the way yeah. the back of house is managed. Um, and so there are a bunch of examples of that, but repairs and maintenance is a, is a great place to start. So yeah. we've always been extremely reactive as an industry when it comes to fixing things. It breaks. We call a service company. They come out, hopefully quickly, hopefully once, they <laughs> fix it, hopefully it works, and we move on. Right? right. Most service incidents don't go that smoothly, um, but mm. even if they did, that's a very reactive way to live, right? And so yeah. you're always kind of at the mercy of your equipment rather than feeling like you're on top of it and, and really able to control it in a meaningful way. And so that sense of being out of control is where all the emotional pain, right, of managing a kitchen comes from. You've experienced it, right? Everybody mm -hmm. in the industry. Oh, man. So uh, being more proactive, understanding, you know, what is the life expectancy of this equipment? What is the total cost of operating it? Yeah. Right? Even, even really big franchise systems like McDonald's or mm -hmm. Sonic, you know, customers that we work with, they, they can't tell you those things they can't you know, they can't tell you how expensive it is to operate a you know hojizaki ice machine versus yeah. a manitowoc ice machine um those are really important data points. oh yeah so that's, that's why we're capturing all this data end to end across you know the the service uh history the equipment of our customers we have a full inventory of all their equipment service history costs that's gone into repairing it all that data is going to help us help our customers be more proactive so they can do things like preventive maintenance and know that it's saving them money. Uh, and ultimately that's why customers work with us, right? If we're not saving them money, then 
you know, yeah. it's not worth it. It seems, you know, it, it seems like really crazy to think that operators, even at that level, the McDonald's, you know, Sonic, uh, you know, th- those type of operators with multiple franchises, uh, hundreds of franchises, if not thousands of franchises, that they're not aware and that it's not prioritized because equipment can be expensive. I mean, it is expensive. Not can be. It is expensive. And you go into that secondary market and you never know what you're getting, right? Like you don't know if you're buying a lemon to your point earlier or if you're buying something that's actually worth it. So it kind of helps you almost mitigate or justify buying new and then just taking care of something, right? Because it's always, I mean, I learned that from my grandfather, you know, take care of it and be yours forever if you don't. Um, So, I mean, I would imagine that that's something that they have to now say, wow, okay, we were spending $6,500 every time this fryer went down just to replace it. We could have done X, Y, and Z. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, you know, we've done this in other industries, right? We have Carfax, right? When you yeah. to buy a car, we yeah. have, you know, we have war- we've extended warranties, we have insurance, right? Mm-hmm. These kinds of things. And this is a really hard industry to do that in because like you mentioned earlier, right? The record keeping isn't great on this equipment. We don't know what it's been through. Mm-hmm. Um, but McDonald's can tell you which piece of equipment uh, an order of fries hits, right in in the yeah. kitchen oh yeah and so being able to understand that volume of ordering right i, I sold you know two thousand orders of fries today that amounts to this impact on my kitchen footprint that's where this needs mm. to go right we need to be proactive enough to say i can connect my point of sale data you know on what i've sold to the performance of the kitchen and the expected life of that kitchen and then make better decisions so I don't have downtime. Because when that yeah. ice cream machine is down at McDonald's, right, and you can't get your McFlurry, that's a huge amount of lost revenue for that operator. Who hasn't been there, right? I mean, man, that seems to happen all the time. Uh, <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> that's an opportunity for McDonald's. Losing on those Oreo McFlurry sales, at least from us once a month. I know that. That's right. That's um, right. So that's a, that's a lot of data that was never previously even thought to, to look at, right? Like, I mean, if you're – multiple franchises and you've got all this equipment, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars in just one piece of equipment alone, I would imagine that that savings is is massive if you can maintain it as opposed to, or, or have an understanding of the expectation of the life cycle of how much you're actually making from that fryer in this example. I mean, that that's a major piece of data that I don't think was on anybody's radar previously. Yeah, I think you're right. And and again, this is part of the technology transformation that needs to happen in the back of the house, right? We need to be able to run this stuff more proactively. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing customers when they share financial data with us over a period of you know one or more years, we're seeing between three thousand and fifteen thousand a year per store mm. being saved by just managing this proactively. And wow. that's a that makes a huge difference, right? If if you run a restaurant with you know million five in annual sales. Um, oh yeah, that's a, that's a big chunk of of profit. That's a huge chunk of profit. So yeah. I guess it makes me think like wh- like why didn't anybody think of this before? Like why didn't anybody? I mean, you probably like holy crap, nobody thought of this. I, let me let me get started on this. But was was it just a, a blind spot? You know, I think not to give us too much credit because you know this is a hard problem, and mm-hmm. we we're dealing we're, we're living in an industry that's very fragmented the restaurant industry is fragmented in a bunch of different ways, which makes this really hard. Um, so first of all, you have 
you know, the geographic distribution of, of restaurants, mm -hmm. right? Even small operators tend to operate in multiple markets when they're multi-unit. Um, you have a lot of complexity and fragmentation in the vendor relationships. So any operator knows there's not one vendor you can hire for all of your locations who will service everything, right? Yeah, right. You have refrigeration, you have plumbing, you have HVAC, you have electrical, you have fire suppression systems, right? You have all this, these different categories. And there are service companies who do, you know, two or three handle two or three mm -hmm. of those categories, but you're managing those relationships at the local level and you're yep. managing those relationships across all those different service categories and equipment types and manufacturers. Yeah. And so it's really complex. And that's why we put ourselves in the middle of the, of the service journey. Right. And we're sitting there managing it is because we can collect all this data across all those different points, the equipment, the vendors, right. How are they performing? We try cost and quality data, right. So we can tell, this vendor is really inexpensive and high quality for plumbing, but they also do HVAC and they underperform, you know, on that category. So mm. being able to tell those kinds of more nuanced stories, I think is really important. And I think that's why this has been so hard in the past is you have all those different, these different fragmented systems that are yeah. kind of coexisting. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, it is kind of stepping into into a war zone. I mean, that, that with all because even if you do just by nature, right? Like if you have multiple units, you're outside of your service area, which means you're probably also outside the service area of the guy working on your refrigeration. So by nature, you're kind of creating your own dynamic here. So I think having having the ability to step into that and and, and resolve it, I think, is major. So that leads me to, to to the question: What's next for you guys? I mean, how how do you how are you planning out the next twelve months? Yeah, it's a good question. It's something we talk about a lot. Um, <laughs> you know, we're, we have a lot of growing to do. Uh, 86 is still a pretty young company. We've been uh -huh. around for about three years. And um, so there's tons of opportunity for us. We're just scratching the surface on, you know, getting more and more embedded in the restaurant industry. Um, but I think probably what's just as exciting for us is the technology that we're building to make this experience even better for customers. So mm -hmm. you know, I mentioned some of this predictive stuff, right? We have AI and machine learning tools now that can help us you know, predict failures and help yeah. operators understand how much are they going to spend to get the spring in the South Bend oven door fixed in Atlanta, right? right, right. Um, what, what is the average cost of those types of repairs and how do you know if you're you know, being overcharged? Mm. Um, and, you know, PM, how do you know that you're getting value out of that? Mm. So the industry really needs to, and, and we're here to help the industry kind of shift from managing this reactively to managing it proactively. And because no one's had that data before, it's been really hard, you know, to predict and prevent yeah. those issues oh, yeah. from happening. And then that's why we're building 86. That's amazing. So if I'm a restaurant owner and I want to get in touch, I want to learn more, what's the best way for somebody to reach out to you guys? Yeah, so we have a great website, 86repairs.com. Um, one of the things that folks in the industry will find there, even if you know they're not looking for information about our service, but we also publish a state of repairs report. Um, we've been doing that annually for a couple of years. Our 2021 report just came out in June, which has a lot of interesting trends and data about what we're seeing in the space. Um, but certainly if folks want to reach out to us, 86repairs.com, we can you know, fill out a form on our site or reach out to us on social media, and we'll be happy to, to get in touch and talk more. That's awesome. And obviously across the country, right? Everywhere you guys are available. We are national. We're available in, in any market in the U.S. Wow. Well, it's, it sounds like a great product and I, I really appreciate you guys tackling this issue. It is, I mean, it sounds to me like it is a great option for operators to drop into their systems as a way of increasing communication around what's going on, resolving these 
constant headaches that are in the industry and really just providing a giving a process to the whole thing which i think like you alluded to in a previous podcast and probably every other podcast before this about the lack of that in, in even some of the larger groups which would be surprising to people uh yeah. thank you so much for taking the time to join us today and um i wish you guys the best of luck i look forward to staying in touch of course really appreciate it cal thanks for having me on absolutely take care all right thanks again for joining me this week on the national restaurant owners podcast Make sure you're following the show over on Instagram and on YouTube where you can see a video of each show as well as some of my vlog for this year and a bunch of other restaurant-related content and so much more. Uh, while you're at it, if you found value in the show, I would really appreciate a rating over on iTunes or just tell your restaurant buddies, like, hey, I have this really cool podcast that I listen to and you should check it out too. Um, I appreciate you spreading the word. And lastly, again, if you're a restaurant owner or want to be a restaurant owner or an industry professional who just wants to take a deeper dive into a particular topic, uh, head over to my Instagram pro profile, click the link in my bio, got a free 15 minute one-on-one -on -one Zoom. You know, let's talk, you know, let's talk. So I know a lot of you guys are in a position where you got feel like you have nobody to talk to. That's what it's for. So uh, at Kyle and Sarah on Instagram, click the link in my bio and that's it. So wrapping up at episode 86. Thank you so much for supporting the show, and I'll catch you guys next week.